Thank you, David. Well, once again, good morning. Uh, it's, it's been a few years since me and Heather were looking for a place to come and, and worship God. I started out life like most heathen, uh, unguided, un, untaught children. I came from a group of guys that was known as the guys who were not scared to do anything. I look back at the idiots we were. We boldly went where no person needed to go. <laughs> and we thought we were something. We were tough. We would fight just to fight. And we thought it was fun. We chased every desire of our hearts and our minds. And it led us to destruction. A lot of my friends in that group didn't make it. They're not here today. They didn't die in some foreign battlefield serving a greater purpose. They didn't die as missionaries. They died from drinking and driving accidents that took their life at way too young and early age. The last one that it took that affected me so greatly was Craig Sion. A guy I'd met because my girlfriend decided that she liked him too and she was going to date both of us. Well, it backfired and I come out with one of the best friends that a guy could ask for. We lost Craig. We lost Craig as he made state cattle inspector. We lost Craig as all his dreams were coming true. We lost Craig. And Craig got saved. In a little old country church, I heard the gospel. Not for the first time. It had been in one ear and out the other. Many Sunday mornings because one of the requirements of having freedom to go and do was to come and be at church on Sunday morning. And we made it. And we made it. And the Word was given to us and presented to us and we walked away from it as fast as we possibly could. One day when I was at work, this is a little background on me, I'd been going to church for a while. I'd been studying the Bible for a while. Some of my co-workers had noticed a change in me and I just got down on my knees in the middle of a gravel mine and Told God I couldn't, I needed him to, to do it. And whatever he needed of me, I, that's what I wanted to do. 
I mean it with all my heart. I'm talking, ooh, I had some zeal. <laughs> Misguided. This week as I studied and listened to commentary and listened to Dallas Theological Seminary and listened to different and sources of study, Nevermore had I missed my large stacks and volumes of reference material that my grandmother Hazel Wright had given to me over the years. See, because a few years into accepting Jesus Christ, our preacher quit. And I filled it, I started filling in for him because we didn't have anybody else. And I was young and bulletproof, I thought. And I could take on whatever challenge that needed to be taken on. I preached every Sunday about God and leaning on Him. But I wasn't. I, was going, I, I had a plan. I had my own plan. And I resisted every bit of help that God sent my direction. Memphis Theological Seminary sent down a man to drive back and forth personally because Southwest Arkansas was in such need of a preacher for the Cumberland Presbyterian Congregation. My inability to say no led to me sleeping through most of his classes. How disrespectful. How arrogant. One of the questions they asked me in the questionnaire that Memphis Theological Seminary gave me was, question number one, do you feel that God has given you everything you need for this service? Do you feel that God has given you everything you need to be a pastor of a church? I said, yep. <laughs> what a fool. See, they were coming with tools of coping skills and mechanisms. They were coming with wisdom of years and years of preachers who had stood, stumbled, fallen, got back up, and did it again. I think I was... 28 years old. I had everything figured out. So anyway, I ran. My whole life was destroyed. I lost every single thing materialistically that I'd ever had and almost lost my own life. But God intervened. Years down the road, He intervened. And gave me some time to think, to get still, and to look back over my life. And as I look back over my life, there was one thing that was just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And it was the fact that the times in my life that I was closest to the Lord were the best times of my life, period. 
No time in my life that I leaned upon my own understanding or tried to do things my way turned out well or turned out at all. My ego and my pride had ruined everything. And I allowed it to do this. These were my choices. When times got hard and the marriage got rocky and work was tough and the congregation was at each other's throats, it got to be too much. And I just, I ran back to what I knew. Sin. That's what I knew. And I ran. See, there's a secret to the Christian life that a lot of people don't seem to get. You know, they, they don't understand how somebody that has been a reprobate all their life and on their deathbed can, can accept Jesus Christ and receive the same salvation that they received. After serving the Lord all their life, that person that just received Jesus Christ had just received their first blessing from God. You've been blessed all your life with the ability and knowledge to come to God's house and study His Word. That's the Bible. I had a man tell me one time that if everything in here is false, if all this is just a lifestyle guide to get people to get along better with each other, if it's all a lie, What have you lost by living this Christian life? Nothing. But you've gained blessings, peace, and understanding in times that people without God couldn't have got through. Because they didn't have Him, and you did, and you knew about Him. You've had that all your life. But God is in control. And after my time of quiet reflection for about 119 days, I was entrusted to do the right thing. And I did. I stopped what I was doing and I repented of it. Am I a good man? No. Am I a perfect man? No. But I remember the church from my childhood. And this church had an upstairs that was behind the congregation. And I think this church was on this little knoll right out here. And it burnt down. But I'm not sure. It was just a childhood memory. I snuck out of Sunday school class that Sunday. I don't know why I remembered it. Yes, I do. I know exactly why I remembered it. And I went upstairs because I wanted to be with my mom and dad. And I was looking at them. And as I'm peeking at them, now I know that the preacher probably snitched me out. But both my parents turned around and looked me right in my eyes I was up on that balcony. And I ran. 
But that memory stuck out. I think it was because my mom and dad were in the same place at the same time. And so with that memory, I came here. And I brought my family here. And y'all have loved us or hated us. I don't know. And some Sundays I come in here and I don't say a word. And I go back there and I sit down. And I get up. And I run out of here as fast as I possibly can. Because I have my own problems too. Social anxieties and all that good stuff. But God was here. I seeked Him and found Him in this church. This congregation has more potential than what we see. And all the time that I was with the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, this is nowhere even close to what I... (laughs) Praise be to God. The time that I was serving the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, at one time I had three churches because the pastors were dying and the congregations were dying. And there was a few elders left here and a few elders left over here that would hold a remnant together. And my inability to say no made me think that I could just, I could do it all. I could take it all on. I could do it my way. I had a plan. Believed in God, studied His Word, preached His Word, but I had a plan. Moses also had a plan. Paul, Saul, he he had a plan too. They all had a plan. But what I love about these two, if you think you're too big of a sinner for God to love you, study Saul and Paul. Study Moses. There's no measure to sin. There's no judgment as we can look at you or you can look at me and you can say, well, I don't appreciate what they're doing. I got to get that taken care of. Maybe we need to wait. Maybe I should have waited before I opened my mouth and said, hey, I used to preach a little bit. If y'all need somebody, y'all let me know. Uh, My knees started shaking about a month ago. Where is David at? My knees started shaking about a month ago. And they haven't stopped. And the more I studied, the more woefully aware I became of my inadequacies. And I have no right to be. But God has a plan. It was not my plan to be here this morning. I wanted to tell Heather, you know, we can still catch a flight. We don't have to come back. I'm a welder. We'll find a job someplace, I'm sure. I can't run no more. 
Run is rough. Run is tough. It's hard on you. Because God, if He has a plan for your life, He's not going to let you go. Ever. What? Not only can nobody pluck you from His hand, you can't jump. It's not your life anymore. If you try to jump, that's fine. Because as Bennett's little folder come in from school with his marks on how he behaved in school, some days were better than others when it came to disciplinary action. With us, some days are better than others when it comes to disciplinary action. I thank God every day that He's still working on me. And I hadn't given up when he had every right to. But I'm here today to tell you that Jesus died for your sins while you were still committing them so that you can be saved. The bad news is you're never going to stop sinning. You can't. You will drive yourself insane trying. His grace is sufficient. Is it not? Can't do it by works, least we'd be boasting how great we are. And I know that the, this says Romans chapter 9, verse 17. It really starts about Romans chapter 9, verse 20. I was put under pressure to send in a chapter and verse and I sent in what I thought would more than likely still be around by the time Sunday got here but it's not but I put it back down because it's in the bulletin so I gotta add it in here somewhere but you probably be better served to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 7 verse 24 And then a little trick that I do, you take your bulletin and you put that right there in Acts chapter 7, verses 24. And you put another one where? In Exodus chapter 2. And I pull my bookmarks out. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Second book in the Bible, Greg, come on. Here we go. In Exodus chapter 2, and there went a man of the house of Levi and took to a took wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw him, and that he was goodly, a goodly child. She hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and laid it in the flags by the river's brink. 
And his sister stood afar off and watched to see what would be done with him. And we all know what happened. Pharaoh's daughter found him. Moses was blessed from the get-go. Charmed life, I guess. Because, you know, things just happen. This is all God's plan. What time was he born? He was born in a bad time to be an Israelite in Egypt. Especially if you were a baby boy. If you were an Israelite, period, it was hard times. All the time, 24-7. Our, the disobedience had brought on the punishment and the distance. And at the hands of the Egyptians is where we find them now. Moses grew. He grew up big. He grew up strong. He was taught. He was well educated. He was well prepared. He thought. And this rocked on. He wasn't just educated through his teen years and got 20 and decided he wanted to do something. He was close to 40 years old when he decided to take upon himself a mission trip. To go rescue his people from bondage. He wasn't sent. God didn't say, go Moses to your people, to my people, and set them free. That was Moses' idea. And he went down there. Greg right to the extreme. I'm going to get in here and impose my will on this mess. And everything's going to work out just fine. I'm going to be accepted. Everybody's going to love me. I'm going to be the hero. So Moses goes down. As slaves are treated, he walked up on the scene. He's going to rescue his brother. That doesn't even know him. More than likely, there's not an Egyptian down there that would trust him any further than they could throw him. He's from Pharaoh's house. He may have been born Hebrew, but he's Egyptian now. So Moses kills him, defending the Israelite. Take it into my own hands. And he killed the Egyptian. And the Israelites roared and celebrated. No. No, they looked at him even worse than they did before he come down there on his own accord. And we know Pharaoh find out about the death. And Pharaoh issued a warrant for his arrest. And Moses ran. And Moses ran. As we get into chapter 3, Moses is about, he's rocking on up in there, going to be 80 years old by the time this little story's over with. By the time he's received his message. Can you imagine? I mean, God's still in full effect in Moses' life. He didn't run to just anybody. 
He didn't find the daughter of just anybody. The priest of Midian. Was that Jethro? I have no idea. But I think it was. God's still in control. Moses is still running. God's still with him. Moses is scared, bewildered. I couldn't imagine what he was going through. He just killed somebody. He hadn't killed anybody before, so I don't really know what he was going through. But I felt the weight and burden of sin that is so heavy that you can't even move under it. And I chose to carry it instead of set it down or I'll set it down and I'll pick it back up. Because I'm not a smart person. I'm a sinner. I'm not well read. We could roll out a list all the way to the back wall on parchment all the things that disqualify me from standing up here but y'all already know them. And as if Moses was keeping Jethro's flock, what did he say? He saw a bush on fire. He's 80 years old, living the life of a sheep herder, goat herder, whatever he was herding, pretty sure it was goats. Stumbling around in the darkness, out in the wilderness, in the desert. And he comes upon this burning bush. And God decides it's time to place a call on Moses' life. It's time to call him to duty, to action. According to God's will and God's plan, not Moses's. Can you imagine? You're 80 years old. I know we have quite a few that can imagine 80 years old. Imagine you're 80 years old. You're out there tending your father-in-law's sheep, goats. And here comes God out of nowhere. And God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And as we all know the story, he tells him to go. He has heard the suffering cries of the children of Israel. And God is going to send them somebody to deliver them from bondage. Trick of the deal is, Moses is a mouthpiece. It doesn't matter what his past is. It doesn't matter what his future is. He's going to do God's will. And God's going to give the increase. Moses didn't perform any miracles. God did. I got in there talking, reading about Jezebel and Elijah. The power of God in the Old Testament is strong, fierce, and terrifying to me. But I don't have to live under that any longer because Jesus Christ has come to save my soul. And He has. 
I sin every day. I go against God's will every day. I beat myself up over it every day. Like I can work my way into being a better Greg Wright. Shame on me. I don't like who I am. God made me this way for a reason. Not supposed to gripe about it. Not supposed to gripe about it. I'm not proud of it most of the time. But I am saved by grace. If you would, with turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 5 through 9. I've run out of time. Philippians verse 4, 5 through 9. Now I've moved my bookmark again. Paul's writing letters working for the Lord. And he's a broken man just like Moses. And he's full of flaws and defects and sins of the past and regrets and mourning and all of these things. And he's not only woefully aware of it, but everybody else is too. Everybody. But God puts him to work. He finds something to do with the man who had been persecuting and killing the followers of Christ. He finds works and ways for each and every one of us every day who fall woefully short that His grace is sufficient. Remember a show I was watching one time and they had a preacher kind of in the background. He said, God knows that you're a vile sinner. I hear the word vile and I think of what that means to me. Disgusting, gut-wrenching, nasty. But Jesus came to give you salvation for those sins. This morning I want you to know that God loves each and every one of you no matter where you're at in your life. And we can all put on a good show. But we all have our shortcomings and flaws. It's one of the, one of the guarantees in the Bible that you're never going to be good enough on your own. The good news is that Jesus loves you and He loves me. And when you ask forgiveness of your sins and you repent of those sins, they're gone. They're moved as far away as one end of the galaxy to the other. People don't get discouraged with the lives lives that we live today and all the outside pressures. When you break it down, it's really, really simple. It's love. My love, not only for God, and your love, not only for God, 
but most importantly, our love for each other as children of God. Church is tough. You got a lot of personalities in church. I watched a uh, I watched a documentary on Jer- Jerusalem one time, and I had left the room and I came back in the room, and there was a picture of a ladder leaned up against the wall. I'm talking about it as rudimentary looking ladder as you could ever see, and I found out rather shortly why that ladder looked as old as it did and why it was still leaned up on the side of this church. That ladder had been put there hundreds, 200, 300 years ago to fix and repair a spot on the building. Here's the problem. We have committees. We have committees in church that are in charge of things. And if you're on one of these committees, don't miss a meeting because you will be sent to Presbytery. They can't come to an agreement in 300 or so years to take the darn ladder down off the side of the building. They couldn't agree on something so simple. (laughs) Is that not us? Oh, we're petty. We're petty people. We're selfish. We're sinners. But by the grace of God, we're saved. And we're set apart. And we're blessed. And we're looked over and we're watched out for and we're loved no matter what. No matter what. The regrets from the past will come at you and try to knock you down every chance they get. What can you do about the regrets of the past? You can't go back and do nothing about them. Because I promise you, I'd spend my entire life in the past. Because that's where it seems like my mind stays sometimes. Undoing the horrible things that I've done in my life. I am the least read in this building. I'm not a good man. But I stand before you as a servant of God telling you that he loves you and he loves me and everything's going to be all right. Well, they say it's going to pass. It may pass like a kidney stone, but it's going to pass. We're in such a mess. I remember when I was a kid, we were coming. <laughs> My dad owned the air bar and grill downtown, and I'm sure me and mother were headed down there for our ability to be able to see him that Sunday. And we went by Kmart. Now, I was just a little kid. I want to go to Kmart and get me a toy, get me a BB gun, get me something. And my mom said, you can't, shop. You can't go to Kmart today. Because you can't shop on Sunday. Because we have a blue law. We have a law to help us honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You know, and that has a big, broad definition for each and every individual. If you choose to work on a Sunday, God says that's okay. 
What he doesn't say is it's not okay to make somebody do it. But we had a blue law. You couldn't do that. Much less buy liquor on a Sunday. You couldn't do things on a Sunday back then because I feel we were more closer to God as a whole. There was more of the population of Texarkana that was closer to God as a whole. And it was not allowed to take place. They weren't going to let it happen. When I was a young teenager doing wild things, we had to go to Oklahoma to do certain things. Because Little River County was a dry county. Today we can leave here right now and go buy beer at the gas station or the liquor store that's open on Sunday in Ashdown, Arkansas right now. I never thought I'd see it. What's changed? What's changed? I mean, the standard hadn't changed, but the amount of people willing to uphold it has. It's our job to get this message out there. We have fallen in, I have fallen. In the past 49 years, I have seen a constant decay of the world around me. And I think of my grandparents giving out all those heated warnings. Son, that's not going to last. That's only a pleasure for a moment. Let it go. Whatever's hurting you, whatever's holding you back today, leave it here. Give it to God. Do your best not to take it back. The times that I can get out of God's way instead of His way are marvelous in my life. They're marvelous in the life of my family that I love very much. Let us pray. God, we give you the glory and the thanks for loving us disobedient children. Father, as I've gotten older, it's easier for me to comprehend just a little bit of that love of a child and maybe see a portion of how you look at us. We ask that you go with us out into this world Prepare our hearts and our minds for this week, Lord, that we may abstain from sin, serve you, share your word, invite somebody to come to your house and worship with us. I pray for revival on this congregation, for the Holy Spirit to move upon this church, that we all may see the bountiful fruits and blessings of our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, we give Him thanks and praise everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right. The, uh, please stand. Next hymn is 572. Blessed Assurance.